Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to step back a little bit and we're going to look at, in a broad sweep, those passages that we've looked at over the past few weeks. Now, we're not going to quite take a 35,000-foot view of these passages. We're not going to get that far away. We're not going to do, quite do the 10,000-foot view. Imagine you had uh, you were putting pic- hanging pictures on the wall, and it was a big wall, and you hang this and that, and you kind of looked, and you hung some stuff. You looked, and you hung some stuff, and you, then you stepped back just across the room, and you wanted to see what you had done, see the results. That's what we're doing with this passage. We're not getting too far away from it. We're, we're going to step back a little bit and see what we've done, what we've talked about, and, and look at it from a little different perspective. If we keep that analogy of the, the pictures hanging on the wall going, we've spent a lot of time examining some individual pictures that we were hanging, individual paintings or photos, but now we're going to step back and see how they all look together and get this overall impression of the room, so to speak. Uh, So we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 37. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, there are Bibles there in your pew back uh, in front of you, should be, or maybe it's behind you, that might be the closest, kind of like the exits on the airplane, Uh, the closest one might be behind you. Um, Go ahead and... Grab that, and it will be exactly what you see on the screen to make it as easy as possible. Now, oftentimes in in medicine, in uh, medical situations, uh, the medicine we get for ailments don't cure immediately, do they? Uh, We might go to the doctor for strep. I'm, I'm prone to strep throat, get it every few years really is how it works, but uh, when I get it, I'll usually get it pretty bad. And I go, they'll give me an antibiotic, and I'll take that pill, and just within hours, I'm healed, right? Nope, it doesn't work that way. You get that seven-day supply or the 10-day supply that you've got to take twice a day and with food, or maybe this one's without food, and got all these rules, but it's a gradual thing. And usually, by the time the medicine's over, you're better. Well, it goes from as simple to, as strep throat to maybe as dire as chemotherapy. Same, same idea here that it takes time, it, it, it progresses over time. Uh, that's the way medicine works. Occasionally, you might even be unaware of the cure that you're getting. And, and uh, you may not even have expected a complete cure, and I'll use myself as an example here. When I was 19, I had had some chronic back pain, uh, joints, genetically, joints aren't a good thing for my family. Uh, They deteriorate, and they begin to deteriorate pretty young. For my grandmother and my mom, it was knees. Uh, For me, it was beginning to feel like my hips. I was having pain through here at 19 years old, Uh, So I went to an orthopedist, he took some x-rays and said, uh, you're going to have to have an artificial hip probably when you're about 55. Great, that's what a 19-year-old wants to hear, but at least I had time to plan, all right, save up my money. Um, Didn't really do anything for me, no medicine or anything like that, so I just kind of lived with it. It it didn't hurt all the time. I could, I hurt it somehow, and then I'd get over it, and usually, some of the time, I'd be okay. Well, about the time... I was uh, about 39 years old. This was being 2014. It was excruciating. There was no more getting over it anymore. It was, I, I hurt getting into bed. I hurt getting out of bed. Standing up straight hurt. Bending over hurt. I mean, there was just, there was usually no end to the pain. So I finally went to an orthopedist in San Antonio. And uh, he said, well, actually, your hips look good. And, and I had been trying to run some. And he said, no. Your running won't hurt you. Uh, uh, obviously, I don't do that anymore. Um, but uh, I'm supposed to, but I don't. Uh, it won't hurt your hips. You'll be fine. Don't, don't worry about that. But what you do have is a bad SI joint. I'd never heard of an SI joint. And uh, Christy or Lacey, y'all could tell me what the, the, those stand for, I'm sure, because they're you know, medical. But it's, it's, it's the bottom of your spine that connects to those big flat bones in your hip. That's what I know. 
and it gets bad for some people. That is a, an issue I have. So he prescribed some gel to rub on it. I'm like, really? You're telling me to get Ben Gay for this? This hurts, man. Uh, but he's prescribed this stuff called Voltaren gel. And I used that for about three years, every day. Just put it on my back before I went to bed. Last summer, when we went to Phoenix for vacation for a week and then the convention, I had either run out or just forgot to take it. I think I ran out and I didn't get it refilled in time. So I didn't get to take it with me on vacation. And I was worried. Now, the plus is I sleep a lot better on hotel beds than I do my own. Uh, I feel less pain on those, ho those beds than I do my own. But I was just worried this is going to be a horrible two weeks. Uh, I'm going to be dying by the time I get home. I got home. I wasn't dying. I thought, well, this is interesting. So I said, well, let's wait another week before I get any more. Well, let's wait two more weeks. Then it was two months. Then it was three months. And now it's been over a year, and I still haven't refilled that prescription. See, over time, what that medicine did, it's an anti-inflammatory medicine. It, 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 it didn't cure me. I'll still have days where it hurts. I can't get up. I have to get, be careful getting up, or I'll turn wrong and mess it up. But over time, even without me realizing it, because I was still using it, I didn't know it wasn't hurting anymore. It wasn't hurting because of the medicine, I thought. But it had fixed me, at least for a little while. Prayer works in a similar fashion. Now, let's remember, all analogies break down. If you take this too far, well, Michael, you know if this... Yes, I know. I, it, it's, it's not a perfect one-to-one -one correlation. No analogy is. But bear with me here. For a second, prayer works in a very similar fashion, even though there's no finish date. There's no time where you run out of prayer. Nope, got to get that prescription refilled. It doesn't work that way. But we can, one way it works like this medicine is we can pray for something so long that we miss when the prayer is finally answered. We're so focused on the, the prayer. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. We're so focused on what we are doing that we miss. Wait a minute. We wake up one day and it's gone. That that, that I've been praying for so long it has, has been done. Or another way it's, it's like uh, this medicine can be like prayer, or prayer can be like this medicine, is regular prayer not only addresses the current need, but it covers those that we might not see coming. You, you take an antibiotic for strep throat and you find out later, well, I was on my way to something else. The antibiotic helped or uh, there have been lots of times where someone goes in for a minor surgery, and while there, they find something major that they're able to, to fix while they're there. It was a little thing for an immediate need that ended up taking care of a greater need later on. Michael, what are you, what are you talking about? The first church in Acts saw a steady dose of prayer radically change their situation. Oftentimes, they, they saw that prayer change their situation and, and, and do it before they ever got to the situation. It was almost like, oh, wow, we've been praying already, and we were ready for this, and we didn't even know this was coming. And that's what we see really in the first four chapters of Acts. But we're just going to really focus on 23 through 37. Read with me Acts 4, 23 through 37. Remember, Peter and John have uh, uh, healed through the power of Jesus Christ, healed this lame man at the gate called Beautiful. They've been to court. Uh, the court said, you, we, you can't preach in Jesus' name, uh, but they let him go because there was no reason to hold him. They said, whatever you say is fine, but we're going to do what God says. And here we pick up with the story. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats. 
And grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand for healing, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was all on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is a message. I got this message from uh, Steve Gaines. He preached it last, I believe it was last year in Phoenix at the pastor's conference, the, uh, at the convention. And uh, he went through this passage, and he presented 10 results of when God's people pray. And I wrote those things down, and I said, that's a great sermon outline, and uh, wrote down the 10 results, and here we are today, and I just said, you know, someday I'll probably preach through Acts. I want this when we go through it. So I want to give him credit. His predecessor at, uh, at Bellevue was once asked, Dr. Is Adrian Rogers, Dr. Rogers, do you, what, what do you think about so many pastors around the country listening to your sermon and then taking your outline and preaching it to their church? And he, his response was, well, if your bullet, if my bullet fits your gun, shoot it. That, that you know, if, if you're, if my, what I preach, I mean, we're just preaching the text, right? So uh, if, if it shoots, if it fits your gun, shoot it. So, so today, the bullet fit the gun, so we're going to shoot it. Ten results of a church that prays when God's people pray. Now, as I said earlier, the, the, the first church took a steady dose of prayer. We're going to go back and look at those from chapter 1. Acts 1, 14. You don't have to turn there, but uh, you, you can if you want to. It's just a couple of pages. Acts 1, 14 says they, were all, they all were continually united in prayer. If you skip over to verse 24 of chapter 1, it says, Then they prayed. And that's in sense for a particular outcome. Uh, chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Chapter 4, verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God, where we are today. These are just the recorded instances. These are just those times that the Holy Spirit told Luke to write down when they were praying. Tell them about this time, Luke. Tell them about this time. We can be fairly certain that as Peter and John waited in that prison the night before they were going before the Sanhedrin, there was prayer going on, not just in that prison cell, but back home in the, in the church family, in the community. Other times, uh, we can be certain there was prayer. But five times in just these first four chapters, Luke tells us the church, the people of God, pray. And what's interesting is that fewer prayers had immediate results than didn't. Only two of the prayers that we see in the first four chapters, only two of them had immediate results. They prayed before they cast lots for the next disciple. And, they, uh, and then in verse 424, chapter 4, verse 24, they prayed for boldness and God shook the room. The other prayers, it's just, they were just telling us, they gathered and prayed. They gathered and prayed. Peter and John were going to the temple to pray. So they weren't looking specifically or necessarily for some immediate result. All we see is that they prayed. And we see this cumulative effect from when God's people pray. And we see ten results just in this passage uh, the, the end, the last half of chapter 4. 
10 results of God's people praying. First result, when God's people pray, they overcome persecution. Verse 23 shows us that. Peter and John have just been told, don't preach in Jesus' name, and they tell the authorities, we're gonna, and, and, and they go home, and they go back to their church to tell them. They overcame this persecution because they were ready for it. Prayer prepared them. Prayer put their hearts in a position, put their minds in a position. You could even say spending time with Jesus prepared them. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles. If you're going to follow the, uh, the, the teacher, the servant is not greater than the master, you're going to have the same thing. Uh, count it all joy when you suffer, etc., etc. All these things. And, and what is prayer for us if, if nothing else than spending time with Jesus? So they were praying, they were talking to Jesus. We spend time with Jesus. They prayed and they were prepared for what would happen. They were ready when persecution came. They didn't know what it was going to look like. They didn't know what the results were going to be. They didn't know what the decisions were going to be, what decisions were going to be made by the people in authority, but they knew it's coming and prayer prepared them, but prayer also propelled them. Prayer sent them out of the courtroom to continue teaching in Jesus' name in spite of what they were told. They, 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 they didn't wait. They didn't say, well, you know, we've got to go home and talk about this and see what my family says. No, they, they told the ones right there who were telling them, you can't preach in Jesus' name. Say, Y'all decide between you and God what you think is right. We already know prayer propelled them into a... a, a overcoming that persecution and saying, I serve God, not man. And God is who I seek to please. Church, when we pray in unity, persecution will not hinder our gospel advance. It will not get in the way. There will be persecution when we stand on the word of God. We will be shouted down. We will be maybe literally shot down depending on the location, depending on the time. But persecution will not hinder our gospel advance if we pray in unity. When we pray in unity. Let's not make it if. Let's make it when we pray in unity. And we will be able to move forward with the gospel. The second result result. When God's people pray, they enjoy unity. First half of verse 24 tells us that. When they heard this, they raised their voices to God in heaven. See, a unity in prayer already existed. 1.14 tells us they were together in prayer. Uh, uh, 2.42 tells us that they were together in prayer. Peter and John were going to to pray together, and then we get verse 24. They're praying together again. It already existed. This was uh, unity of heart was a reflex for these people. It was never a question of, well, what should we do? Y'all, should we pray? Well, maybe we should call a prayer meeting. It, It was always a prayer meeting. If they got together, they knew, we pray. They were unified in their common goal and their common purpose. And they got that from Jesus. And how did they get that from Jesus? It's not rhetorical. Prayer. They knew what their goal was. They knew what their purpose was. So when something came along that kind of stood in the way, wait a minute, we've got to get from here to there, and something's in the way, what should we do? Prayer. Didn't, never, never even question, never even had to worry about. No committee meetings, no discussion. Y'all, we're going to pray about this. Their reflex was prayer. They enjoyed unity because they had prayed and they continued to pray. When we pray in unity... Our direction will be certain and sure. When we pray in unity, we will never question where we are going. We will never question what the goal is. We may have barriers to overcome. Persecution will occur. But we will never question where we are supposed to be when we pray in unity. The third result, last half of verse 24 all the way through 26 When God's people pray, they depend on Scripture. In the midst of this persecution uh, that was really just beginning, this was mild, extremely mild compared to what they would soon suffer. 
In response to this, they pray and they go to Scripture. And as a matter of fact, they combine the two. They pray Scripture. Their, their approach uh, to God and their dependence on God was based on Scripture. They had spent time with Jesus, but Jesus had taught on the Scriptures, the Old Testament. We then get Scripture, the New Testament, because we don't spend physical, temporal time with Jesus, but we hear His words, we, we, we get taught by Him through Scripture. They were ready. And so when this persecution happened, and they reflexively, as a group, as a family, prayed, the first thing they prayed was Scripture. That's always a good choice always a good choice. When you don't know what to pray, pray God's word back to him. Go back to the promises he's given. Go back to the, the, the things he has taught you. The, the uh, What do I do in this situation? The scripture will tell you, well, wh what do you do as a Christian? What do you believe? What, what have I told you to do? Already, that you don't have to question. Pray that. Let him open up his will for you. Scripture immediately answered their concerns. It said, Master, you're the one who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. You said through your Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant. Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The, king of the kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. See, they went to this scripture and it explained everything that was going on right then for them. We know why we're experiencing persecution. David talked about it a thousand years before. Saw it coming through his offspring that would be our Messiah. He knew it. The people went to scripture. They found comfort as they prayed that scripture back to God. When we pray in unity... We will instinctively and responsively turn to Scripture. Instinctively, what do I mean? When we hit a problem, what does the Bible say? It should be our first instinct. Not what does a political party say. Not what does mama or daddy say. Not what did they teach me in school. Not anything, but what does the Bible say? That should be our first instinct. But it should also be responsive. When we encounter a situation, as they were encountering persecution, when we encounter that situation and we pray, when we spend time with God, if we are responding correctly to God, He will send us back to Scripture. He's not going to tell us anything new. He's not going to say, well, I know I said this in Corinthians, but instead today I want you to do this. No, it doesn't work that way. He is going to tell us, what did I tell you? Go back to Scripture. So when we pray in unity, we instinctively and responsively turn to Scripture. Number four, I think that's the number I'm on. I knew I was going to lose count. I didn't number them. Number four, they exude confidence, verse 27. Continuing to, to pray, in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. And who do they follow now? Jesus. Who are these same people turned against? Jesus. We see uh, uh, Peter and John showing this confidence back in verses 19 and 20 when they say to the court, you figure out if it's right, we're going to do it because we know it is. We see that sort, of a, that sort of confidence in the midst of the persecution. But those people who crucified Jesus were still around. Look, look at the, the, the sermons that Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. You people who crucified Jesus. The sermon he preached in Solomon's colonnade after he healed the lame man. You people crucified Jesus. They're right there. Pilate's still there. Herod is still there. It's still fresh. They are now insurgents. They are borderline terrorists because they are following this guy who received the capital punishment of the ruling authorities of that day for stirring up problems. That's not a good situation to be in. And yet here they were exuding confidence. They were aware of what was going on, of 
who was still in charge, but yet they were still willing. There was nothing about the authorities that could turn them from their purpose, from their mission, because they exuded confidence. When we pray in unity, there's no adversary that can't be confronted. Name a potential or a real problem that our church faces. When we pray in unity, it can be confronted. It can be overcome. Especially when we remember what Paul tells us. That our war is not against flesh and blood. But against the principalities of the air. Against the things of this world. The, the, the spirit realm is where the fight is. So why would we fight with physical words or physical uh, uh, implements? We fight with prayer. And when we do, in unity, there's no adversary that can't be confronted. Number five, they offered strategic petitions. When God's people pray, they offer strategic petitions. I'm going to do it every time, apparently. Y'all try it. It's hard. Strategic petitions. That's not easy to say. That was rhetorical. You didn't have to really try. Um, verses 28 through 30, to... God, you, uh, you anointed Jesus to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. Verse 29, consider their threats. Grant that your servants may speak the word with all boldness. Uh, you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders that will be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There's not just specificity in the strategic... See? Wow, thank you. I'll get it in a minute, maybe. Uh, in these petitions though that's certainly an aspect. They are very specific about what they're asking God to do in this situation. They're, they're, they're very uh, uh, calculated, but that's the thing. It's calculated specificity. They are praying these things, these focused prayers, in order to accomplish the kingdom goal. They're not praying for random things. They're not praying even, you know, for our, in our prayer meetings, we pray for the sick among us, and that's a good thing, and the Bible tells us to. But here, at this time, at this moment, that wasn't their concern. They knew they needed God to work in certain ways, in, in certain events, in certain aspects of what was going on right then in order for them to accomplish the kingdom goal. And what do they do in this prayer? They acknowledge first God's sovereignty over all of it. Lord, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. That's what he did with Jesus when Jesus was on earth. So they completely understood that he could do that now in their circumstance. They're praying uh, that they, are, they want him to be aware of the struggles. God, know what's going on. It's not like he wouldn't. Like, oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it because I'd totally forgotten the angels are remodeling up here, and I missed it. No, it's not. It wasn't that going on at all. But they were just verbalizing what they wanted God to do, awareness of the struggles that they were going through. They prayed specifically for unflinching gospel sharing. To uh, consider their threats and grant your servants may speak your word with all boldness. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I preached this message. They didn't pray for the persecution to go away. They didn't pray for a constitution or a bill of rights that allowed them to worship freely and share the gospel freely. All they prayed for was boldness. Don't keep us alive, keep us bold. Don't keep us safe, keep us bold. Don't keep us careful, keep us bold. Unflinching gospel sharing. And then they, shared, uh, they prayed for proof of his answer. Lord, let us know that you have heard us. Let us know that you will do what you have told us you would do and what you will work through us to do what you have told us to do. They prayed for signs and wonders, and they were probably, I'm guessing here, probably thinking more along the lines of what Peter and John had done for the lame man there in Solomon, uh, in the gate, uh, the beautiful gate. They were praying for that sort of thing. When we preach the gospel, when we share the gospel, let signs and wonders accompany it so the people will know it's true. But God showed up and did something more than they expected. They wanted a miracle later, and our next point, that we're not to yet, God showed up right then. They offer strategic petitions. When we pray in unity, we must pray deliberately for gospel opportunities and advance. We can't pray, Lord, send me somebody to tell Jesus about. 
Lord, now, now, if you're like me, what you pray is, Lord, send me someone who's going to ask me about Jesus. I mean, we want, we want to know, right? We want, we want blatant, obvious somebody who's, uh, if you remember going through Vertical Church last year, that red apple, that apple that is ripe and ready to pick, and all we got to do, and it falls off, and like, yeah, I got, you know, that's what we want. But that's not the prayer here. Make us bold to share Pray deliberately for gospel opportunities and advance. Make me bold. Don't make them seeking. Make me bold. Notice who they are praying for. Themselves. Not the people that they will come into contact with. Number six. They experience miracles. First half of verse 31, they prayed for miracles, and then immediately they get to experience one. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. That was big enough, right? I mean, that was impressive enough. The room shakes. They, they, they pray, and, you know, it's, it's all, I, I love it. And, and it, it, I assume it's always coincidence. But I love when it's storming and I'm preaching. And I'll say something that I thought was just, Man, that was good. And thunderclaps. I have, n- I have no real belief that that is anything other than wonderful coincidence. But it sure feels good. Can you imagine? There, there's no... They're not saying it wasn't an earthquake. It wasn't lightning. God shook the building when they prayed. That was incredible. But y'all, it is no less incredible that God heard their prayers to begin with listened to their prayers, wanted them to pray. It's a miracle that God hears our prayers. It's a miracle that the Holy Spirit empowered them. Why would you want to live here? Really, I mean, we've all lived in places or aware of places. Uh, When we moved to Clarksville, Texas, it was our first full-time church in uh, 2000. We had been married for 10 months, asked uh, around, where do I get my uh, inspection sticker? We moved from Louisiana to Texas. Where do I get my inspection sticker done? They said, oh, go down here to uh, Ballantine's uh, gas station. He is a service station. He does it, full service gas station. He didn't charge any extra for the gas. He said, doesn't matter. We're here anyway. We might as well pump your gas. That was the way he worked. Nice guy, uh, not a churchgoer. Um, when we moved there, and, and, and I went and was getting the inspection sticker. He said, uh, where are y'all from? And we said, well, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He said, why did you move to Clarksville? And I said, well, I'm the new uh, youth and music minister at First Baptist. And he said, I knew it had to be God to get anybody here. <laughs> well, that's kind of the way I feel about why would the Holy Spirit want to live in me? I know what's in there. I know what's in that heart, and yet my response is the same as Jimmy Ballantyne's. Well, it's got to be God to get him to want to live in here. And that's what happens. That is a miracle that the Holy Spirit empowered them, empowers us. And God is still in the miracle business. It's a miracle when that person you've prayed for for years to get saved gets saved. It's a miracle when that person that you haven't prayed for at all to get saved get saved. It's a miracle when that drug dealer, that murderer, that gang member get saved. It's a miracle when that fine upstanding citizen who has never done any, doesn't even have a parking ticket, get saved. It is a miracle when the lost get saved. It's a miracle when families are reunited. It's a miracle anytime the sick is healed. It's a miracle when God does anything in our lives and the people prayed for it and they experienced it. When we pray in unity, we will see things that can only be attributed to God's miraculous work. If they can't, is God doing it? We as a church should be praying for things that only God can do. If we did it, who gets the glory? Well, we do. Well, we'll say God gets the glory, but but, nearly throw our arms out, patting ourselves on the back. But when only God can do it, We know that is a miraculous work of His. When we pray, we will see that when we pray in unity. Number, the next one. They shared the gospel. 
When God's people pray, they share the gospel. Verses 31, the second half, and then skip to 33. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They prayed for boldness. And it wasn't just the miracle of the building. It was the miracle that they could then share the gospel with boldness. Exactly what they prayed for. Y'all, that's a miracle. I've told you before, I'm not a public speaker. And some of y'all just agreed with me. I, I was not, I did not want to speak publicly. I did not like to speak publicly. Y'all, I'm an introvert. I don't want to be in crowds. I'd rather be at home. But it is a miracle that God can get me behind a pulpit to speak to hundreds of people. That is a work of Him. That is His spiritual gifting. That is what happens when we trust God. That is what happens when we pray. They prayed for boldness, and God miraculously provided it. I guarantee you, in that group of people, there was timidity based on fear, doubt, ignorance. They were scared to share the gospel. Well, of course, we've just been told not to by the authorities. The same authorities that crucified Jesus. Right? The same ones that said, crucify him, and it worked, and he was, are the ones that just said, don't preach in his name. There's a little bit of fear that goes there, right? Fear was an issue. Doubt. What if I don't know what to say? I don't know the Roman road, or the Samuel road, I guess, for them. The, the Isaiah road. They preached a lot from Isaiah. The, the Psalm 22 road. I, I don't know about all the prophecies. I, I haven't memorized them all. How would I share the gospel? See, there was doubt. There was ignorance. I, I don't know the words. I, I, don't know, I don't know the people. I don't know, uh, I don't know how to start the conversation. But prayer was the fuel that ignited their evangelism. Prayer was what got them going. When we pray in unity... We will tell people about Jesus as an overflow of that encounter with God. You can't run on a spiritual empty and share the gospel. It doesn't work. You, 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 won't, it, 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 you can try, and, and, and the gospel has power all its own. It's not dependent on you. But you won't do it if you're trying to run on empty. You just won't. But if you allow the evangelism to be an overflow of what you have already done, all of, of time you have already spent in prayer, you will tell people about Jesus. Next, when God's people pray, they enjoy bountiful grace. Verses, uh, verse 33b, second half of that verse. And great grace was on the, all of them. See, grace saved them. And they experienced that daily. They knew who they were. You who crucified Jesus. They knew who they were. They knew the grace that they had received. And every day they experienced joy and awe at that salvation. Y'all, I think, I know, as someone who got saved when he was 10 years old and spent his entire life in the church, I know we have lost the joy and the awe of our salvation. It so easily happens. Because I'm good, right? I mean, I don't do all the really bad things. So I must be all right. I, I, I'm, it was easy for Jesus to save me. Tell that to the nail prints in his hands. Tell that to the spear in his side. Tell that to the agony that he spent on that cross. Tell that to the suffering he endured taking my sin and taking my punishment. It was no easier to save me than it was to save Ted Bundy. It took the same agony and pain and death of Jesus to save me as it did to save the worst of criminals. So they, they didn't lose that joy. They didn't lose that all. They had it every day. They knew that grace sanctified them. They enjoyed that grace that was constantly reunifying them with Jesus. Every day their relationship with God was renewed. His mercies were new every morning. They knew the scripture that said that. And that grace that they enjoyed every day sanctified them. That grace that they enjoyed every day unified them. They laid aside their differences. We talked about last week. These weren't homogeneous, the same 
everybody thought the same way, was the same. They were different colors, different nationalities, different thought processes, different cultures, different ways of doing things, different homes, different families. And yet, God overcame all of that. Grace unified them, and they laid aside their differences, and then grace propelled them. They shared what they got. Y'all, I have experienced grace. I want you to experience it too. You cannot imagine what it means to experience the grace through Jesus Christ. And they wanted others to know that. They enjoyed bountiful grace. When we pray in unity, we will both realize and share grace. We'll experience among, our, uh, among ourselves. We will share it among ourselves. But we will also share it with those who have not experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. I can see the end now, so I know I'm on number nine. They become exceptionally generous. When God's people pray, they become exceptionally generous. Verses 32 and 34. What's mine is yours became their way of life. If you need it, you can have it. That's the way they lived from this point out. This is more of that bountiful grace. This is undeserved giving. Did everybody in that community deserve to be helped? No. Not everybody was there because of, a, of a, an, a situation out of their control. Not everybody was experiencing need because of a situ, situation out of, control, or out of their control. A lot of them probably had gotten themselves into the mess that they were in. But what did the people do anyway? As they could, they sold their possessions and helped those in need. Steve Gaines, in this message last summer, said, You can't follow someone who gave his life on the cross and not be a giver. You can't follow the man who gave everything and not give at least something. The thing is, he doesn't ask us just to give something. He asks us to give everything. And you can't follow Jesus and not be a giver. Church, when we pray in unity, we will not hesitate to give to God, his church, and his mission. And that means whenever he leads us however he leads us, to whomever he leads us, whether we think they deserve it or not, because we enjoy bountiful grace. And lastly, when God's people pray, they expose gifted leaders. Verses 36 and 37 tell us about Barnabas and how he, even at this point, begins to be raised up in the church as a leader. Barnabas was already known as upstanding. They knew he was a good guy. That Barnabas, man, he's an encourager. But when Jesus got a hold of him, have mercy, he just went nuts. He was an encourager, but now, now he's, he's selling stuff just like the rest of them. He's, he owns a field. And, and to point that out, it must have been a pretty good piece of property that he sold. And he gave that money to the apostles and laid it at, his, laid it at their feet. His response here foreshadows later greatness. Because not only does he start off, he starts off just as an encourager who's willing to give. Later on, he becomes the first international missionary along with Saul. We see that in chapter 13, verse 2, where they were sent out. And you know what they were sent out from? Prayer meeting. Just thought I'd point that out to you. Saul, uh, uh, Barnabas rather, was a result of the prayers of the church. Not just praying, Lord, raise up leaders among us, but Lord, show us what we should be doing. When we pray in unity, church, we will see leaders emerge very likely from unexpected places. It's amazing who God can bring up and bring out and build up in order to do his work. Notice what we have, verse, first four chapters, but as we move through Acts and, and, and we'll see other places. These are not rote prayers. We don't see anybody, as far as we know, praying the model prayer over and over again. These aren't laundry lists. Yeah, there are times when uh, they pray certain things because of, because of a certain situation, but they're just not going through their list and uh, folding it up. All right, I did my prayer today and stick it in their pocket and move on. These are not this isn't manipulation through obedience, which is so often what we think we can do. If, if I'll just say my prayers like I'm supposed to, God will do what I want him to. We're manipulating God through our obedience. That is not the way it works. 
Uh, this is not them putting money in a vending machine. If I get the right amount of prayers, then, then what pops out of the bottom is exactly what I want or exactly what I need. Uh, this is not a sugar daddy in the sky who does things for us because, well, he kind of likes us, so he's just going to do stuff that, you know, as long as we ask sweetly and, you know, say honey, and uh, he'll give us everything he, he, we want. That's not the way it works. We don't see that type of prayer here. We see prayers that seek God and seek to conform themselves, ourselves, to him and not him to us. That's the kind of prayer he's looking for. Prayers that say, God, where am I wrong? How should I be different? Make me new, and then I know I'll follow you the way I'm supposed to. God's people need to pray prayers that seek to change us not change God. That's the mystery of prayer. Prayer has some power over God. And that, I know that sounded horrible the way I say it, said it. We don't manipulate God, but the Bible is clear that when we pray, God acts. I don't understand how it works. But that's not our purpose in prayer. Lewis, C.S. Lewis was asked, uh, you know, why do you pray, and especially when you don't get what you ask for? When his wife died, they got married late in life, Joy Davidman. Uh, when, when she got cancer and, and died not too many years, I don't remember exactly how many it was after they got married, and it crushed him. And, and he prayed that she would be healed and prayed that she would be delivered, and it wasn't. She wasn't. And, and they asked him, well, Jack was what most people called him. Jack, why? What was the point? Why did you pray? It didn't work. And he said, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. And he wrote a book, Grief, A Grief Observed. And he wrote a book about her, uh, Surprised by Joy. And, and God used that situation to create one of the greatest apologists for the Christian faith the 20th century has ever seen. See, prayer did not seek to change God. His prayers sought to change him, and that needs to be the prayer that we pray. Prayers that seek what God is doing and join him in it, as we learned in experiencing God over this past uh, winter and spring. When God's people pray, incredible things happen. When God's people pray, the lost come to know Jesus. This morning, there may be somebody here, or I know, I know without a doubt, because I know, I know some people who watch the, the sermons online, and I know they don't know Jesus. So I know without a doubt there will be somebody watching this or somebody in here this morning who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know salvation through Jesus Christ. And, and I can be honest with you, any prayer that you pray without Jesus doesn't make it past the ceiling. Uh, he, God may answer something to, to guide you to him, to bring you to him, but I'm saying you don't enjoy the relationship of prayer, of conversation, of communion with God without Jesus Christ. So all this that I've talked about, I'm talking about God's people praying and something happening. If you've thought about, you know, I've prayed a few times, but this just doesn't work for, for me. Well, maybe it's because you're praying to somebody you don't know. And somebody who doesn't really know you, not in the sense of salvation. So this morning, you can experience prayer. There's a, I mean, experience salvation. There's a, a prayer that you can pray, and it doesn't save you. It's not a magical incantation. It's not the words that you say. It, it's based on a realization first, though, that, that you need salvation, that God is holy and just and, and will judge sin. That's what he will do, uh, and, and the judgment will be eternal. And because you are a sinner, willful, and, and, and fallen, uh, you are destined for that everlasting torment, that judgment. You will receive the judgment as a sinner, and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't work your way out of it. Uh, I have a friend who said, uh, you know, I've just gotta, we all got to work out our own salvation. No, you don't. You can't. You won't be able to. You will fail. Only Jesus can work out your salvation. Because Jesus is the perfect Son of God. He took our place. He took our sin on the cross. He died for everyone. He rose three days later to prove he had defeated that sin and that death. And he asks you today to pray that prayer to, again, not the, the words, not the, 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 the magical, uh, magic formula, 
but to repent of your sin, to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him, and then you live for him. And, and, and we, we put those words into a form of a prayer, in the form of a prayer, just to, to put words to what our heart is doing, where we say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I want you to save me. I, I may not, you may not even understand all that that means right now. And you can tell him that, God, I don't know what all this means. But I know that I'm a sinner, and I don't want to spend eternity far, apart from you. Lord, save me, and I give my life to you. It really is that simple. And that's a decision that you can make today and follow Jesus and spend eternity with him in heaven. Pray with me. God, I pray that we would be a people that prays. That we would be a church that seeks you. That we join in unity of prayer. And God, that we experience what the first church experienced. God, we ask that you would move among us. That prayer would not be an infrequent, momentary experience, but will be a habit. That we would pray continuously. That we wouldn't schedule ourselves to death so that it becomes some rote activity. But Lord, it is just a constant cry of our heart to when, for when a, a, a thought of you comes, God, we rejoice in that, we worship. When a thought of a sick person comes, we lift that up to you. When we think of our lost friend, we pray for him or her. God, we pray that you would change our church through prayer. Not that we would change you through our prayers, but that you would do a miracle in us because we seek your face and we spend time with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So maybe you need to begin with prayer, believer, this morning. You need to come up here to the altar. You, you, you want to get some prayer life tune-up going on, and you want to start this morning. Maybe you want to pray with me or Tom. Uh, Tom will be in one corner. I'll be over here in the other. Lost person, unbeliever, you're struggling with that salvation, and you want prayer, you want encouragement, come to us. Let us pray with you. Let us talk a little bit more about it. Grab me. I'll be in the back. If you're a first-time guest, I'll be back there with your coffee cup and, and some uh, uh, other goodies. Um, I'll be there, and you might want to say, Michael, I don't understand that. How do, how do I do it? Grab anyone, literally anybody you see on the stage here can help you. Don't leave today without getting that piece of your life fixed, and then you get to experience a life of prayer. like You can't imagine once you have Jesus in your heart. So let's stand. Let's sing. And you do business with God this morning.